CNN Breaking News. This just in, you are looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers of the World Trade Center. There is a major incident in Lower Manhattan. We just got a report in that there's been some sort of explosion at the World Trade Center in New York City. We have serious news of a major possible air crash in the United States. An incredible plane crash into the World Trade Center. That happened within the last few moments. Just a few moments ago, something uh, believed to be a plane crashed into the South Tower of the World Trade Center. We have no idea of what it was. It was a tremendous boom. A gigantic sonic boom. The air is filled with hundreds of thousands of pieces of paper that are just sort of floating like confetti. Stuff just started falling like bricks and paper and everything. Remember, it is shortly before 9 o'clock East Coast time, so we suspect there would have been a great many people in the building and presumably on those top floors as well. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special 100th episode of the Resilient Journey podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and today I'm joined by Chris Platt. Chris was a visitor on the 40th floor of Tower One on the morning of September 11th, 2001. Today's episode focuses on the resilience of a nation and the will to survive of those involved in the day that changed America forever. Chris, welcome to the podcast, man. I'm very, very honored that you're here. Thanks, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. By all accounts, and I've been listening a lot to broadcasts from the morning of September 11th before the attack, and a lot of reporters were talking about how boring of a day it was <laughs> uh, until it wasn't. So walk us through it, please. You were there. Talk about what you saw, what you heard, what you experienced when that plane first hit Tower One. Certainly. Um as you said, it was a, it was a beautiful day actually in in New York City, and I was in town not only to visit clients at the World Trade Center, but I had other business appointments that day, and then I was traveling that whole week. So I was packed to be gone out of town for a week, and I reside in the Chicago area, so I actually traveled to New York. Um, stayed in Midtown. Uh, spent the night the previous evening in town, and we had originally planned to stay at the Marriott, which is actually at the World Trade Center. And then for some reason that I can't even describe to you, we ended up staying uptown, uh, midtown at the Marriott. So uh, traveled to uh, to the World Trade Center, arrived in the building. It's my first time actually that I'd ever been in the building and uh, checked in and waited for the other people that were uh, part of my my group to arrive. So we had a chance to be in the lobby after getting an ID badge and simply probably 30 minutes or so worth, grabbed a cup of coffee and just sat and watched the sheer number of people that worked in that building arrive and go up in the elevators. And we'd commented about how many people there really were that worked in that building. I don't know what the actual total is, but it's obviously uh, many hundreds of people. 
Right. And now you got there somewhere between what, 8.15 and 8.30, somewhere in that time frame? Or? Yeah, right, probably right after 8 o'clock we were there because we had expected uh, we'd expected this, the meeting to start at eight thirty, and one of our one of our crew was a little bit late uh, trying to trying to get in uh, into into town and then into the building because a couple of the people were local, uh, and then waited for those people to arrive. Once they had, we found the right elevator bank, and up to forty we went. Okay, so what time did you get to the fortieth floor? Uh, just about eight thirty. Okay. So now you're in your meetings with the client on the 40th floor? Yeah. So it, the way that happens is we we're received and then we went to the, to the stairwell and went down one flight to a conference room that was reserved for us uh, that was on the 39th floor. And these conference rooms are in the interior of the, of the, uh, of the office space. And they're like a conference room with a glass window that faces out. So the conference room we were in had a glass window that faced out to the to the south. Um, dropped our bag off in uh, in the uh, our host's office, which again southwest corner, you know, facing windows facing out to the south. Uh, all got in the meeting room. There was probably fifteen of us in there, and we sat down to start talking about our business. Within. Several minutes of the meeting started uh, was when the when the plane actually struck the tower. Now, when that happened, uh, it if you've ever and I had made this analogy when we were there, uh, it felt like an earthquake. When the plane hit the building, there was a rumble, a shudder that went down through the building mm -hmm. and the building began. If you watch me. The, the building began to sway back and forth, actually pretty significantly. You could feel it. And someone said, wow, I wonder what that was. I said, I don't know if any of you have been to California and felt an earthquake. It felt like an earthquake. Somebody else commented, well, it'd be highly unlikely that there would be an earthquake in, uh, in New York City. And, you know, there was some idle chatter, but the, our, the host of our meeting obviously took that incident, that occurrence, differently than the rest of us did. How so? so um, he had a different look on his face. Mm. And, you know, we're all just chatting, and you you thought that we'd just continue on with the meeting. Well, the funny part about it is I had taken out a, a notepad to take notes, and I had I wrote on that pad, 9-11-01, World Trade Center, Lehman, and I was getting ready to take notes. And that's all that ever got written on that piece of paper. Oh, wow. And uh, he just, he made a comment that I'll never forget because nobody questioned it. You know, if we were all sitting around a table and someone made uh, a comment that was maybe a little more aggressive than somebody else and what they said, <clears throat> people might question it. Nobody questioned it. Well, what his was comment, his comment? His yeah. comment was, hey, guys. Why don't we get out of here? Wow. And now, was it that calm? Was it said that calm? It was said that calm. And the response was equally as calm. Everyone simply stood up. And I, I had a briefcase. In fact, I have it. It's off camera here. But I had the briefcase that had a couple of laptops in it that I always carried when I traveled and, you know, travel things, passport, those types of things. And 
I grabbed that bag and I grabbed the pad of paper and I put it, uh, put it back in the bag. And as people were getting up and walking out of the conference room, I remembered that my suitcase was in Pete's office. Mm-hmm. So I walked across the office space, an open cubicle area between the room, the conference room side and where the offices that lined the outside perimeter of each floor and walked back to that office. And when I did, I walked all the way to the window and I looked up and to the left. And if you see, there's a video that's played every 9-11 and uh, it's shot from the perspective on the ground of a fire department training video. Mm-hmm. And they're, the camera's focused on a manhole cover that's on the street. And you hear the whistling noise of the jet because obviously it's very low in the sky. Right. And the guy, the, the cameraman pans up to the building and you actually see the plane fly right yeah. into the plane. And then the resulting effect of that was a cloud that came out, a big black ball with paper and almost like confetti falling down. I saw that from inside the building. Wow. And someone had made a comment while I was walking. They were like, everyone's trying to figure it out, but nobody is really overreacting. There was no panic. But somebody said, wow, maybe it was a power, you know, a generator, generating station, you know, power closet or something. And I looked up, I was looking up at the cloud and I said, well, whatever it is, it's above us. At almost at that same moment, one of my crew that was with me that day said, Come on, Chris, we're getting out of here. And I remember looking down at my bag, thinking, well, I'll just come back and get it later. Left my briefcase uh, you know, on the shoulder strap over my shoulder, walked back across and literally behind the conference room that we'd met in, which again is on the interior wall. And then all the elevator centers were in the center of the building. We walked around the corner to the door that we'd come in to, to get into the elevator lobby and right there, right into the stairwell. At this point, Chris, was there an alarm going off? Was there anything to indicate throughout the building that there was trouble? No. Nothing. No. So no. then when you got to the to the stairwell, were there people in the stairwell? The stairwell was full. This is now let's let's look at it chronologically for a moment. From the time the plane hit the tower to walking across to looking out the window to coming back and getting into the stairwell couldn't have been two minutes. It was that quick. Okay. Now you said that there was no panic in that first couple of minutes. When you get to the stairwell and you open it up and you look inside and it's packed, are you starting to feel a little bit of dread now? What do you talk about what you're feeling? Unknown. That's I, I can't stress more as, as I describe what I'm telling you that at this point, we have no idea what's going on and not, for a while, actually, the stairwell had smoke in it. I mean, at, at that point, the stairwell was smoky, and it was it was full, and people are going downstairs. So we blended into the line of the people going downstairs, and it's a I'm, I'm doing it a cadence, a very slow progression mm-hmm. as we went downstairs, and uh, the one of the people that were, were with us, we lost one of them. So there were four of us in our group, and the third, I I remember him going down a hallway uh, on the floor, and he didn't get into the stairwell when we did. So three of us got into the stairwell. The fourth of our team was not with us at that moment. 
So Did you eventually catch up with that person. I'll get to that. You'll get to that. But, okay. Uh, but what happened is we get into the stairwell and remember that cell phones in 2001, I had a Motorola StarTag, a flip phone. Okay. No tech. There's no technology, not like today's, you know, smartphones. And Dave uh, got a call off to one of our colleagues that lives in Atlanta and said, I, I hear him say, hey, turn on CNN. We're evacuating the World Trade Center. What's going on? And the only thing that was known at that moment that he relayed to us is it was thought, if you remember the TV report, that a commuter plane might have hit the building. They right. weren't sure. And it, that's what he said. He said, they, it, they think a commuter plane might have hit the building and then boom, cell service goes down. Sure. And we didn't we did not have cell service until much later when we were actually up, out of the building in a way. So, right, so you're, you're in the stairwell now you're you're working your way down. Right now, again, the, the pace going down the stairs was was painfully slow. Uh, there was a woman ahead of me that was struggling to go down the steps. And most of the people, and when I talked to you about the stairwell being full of smoke, it was cloudy smoke, right? Okay. And people are taking their shirts, and they're like a polo shirt or what have you, and trying to put yeah. it up over their nose. It was that smoky. And there's conversation, but people are, the woman in front of me said, I, at a few floors, flights down, I don't think I can make it. And my comment was, hey, we're all going downstairs. You're coming with us. Right. And the 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 uh, port authority has security that's in the building. And they all have I think I think they're brown coats, if I remember correctly, but they all have sport coats on. And there literally were people already on the the landings of the of each floor. And David was saying something about I wonder what the heck is really going on. And one of those guys said, hey, you don't know anything. Everything's just fine. You don't know anything. And wow. Kept turning the corner. Now, um, you can only re-enter <clears throat> the way that the system is set up for security. You can only re-enter uh, any, any of the floors every 10 stories. Sure. Right. So we're right. on 39, whatever. But there were door all the doors were open. So we were having to navigate every time we got to a landing to make the turn because there were more people entering. Oh, right, right, right. It was getting more stacked the further down you got. But but the <clears throat> the 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 stairwell and the smoke and the smells were what started to become apparent to me. And that was that it smelled like kerosene. Really? And as we pressed down, we probably weren't 10 floors down. And David is saying, what is that smell? And I look, and as I'm looking, running down the the, the wall, it was jet fuel. Wow. And I remember going like this and touching the wall, and I had bumped into it, and it's orange, right? Sure. And he's, I said, that's jet fuel. And he goes, how the heck could that be? And I said, I don't know. Again, one of the guys on the floor, when I we're talking as we're walking and the guy goes, Hey, shut up. You don't know anything. And it was like, it was the same thing we'd heard, you know, a couple of floors earlier. Wow. So we're on our way down. 
we're on our way down. And um, to, to give you a time perspective, from the moment we got in and out and real, I didn't realize that Dave had actually looked at his watch, but to come down to the mezzanine where they, they exited us from the stairwell took about 30 minutes. Okay. Okay. And they pushed up where they, where they stopped us was on that mezzanine, which uh, in, in the world trade center, it was simply an open floor with the very tall windows. So you could see, you know, every direction once you got in it. And again, remembering that the stairwells and elevator banks were in the center of the building. So you could walk all the way around had you wanted to. What they were doing was routing us to an, an exit that was on the north side of the building. And there used to be a walkway from the mezzanine across West Side Highway, which is the street that ran along the west side of the of the building mm -hmm. and ran you over to what they called One World Financial. It was one of the buildings that had a like had a dome top to it. But that's where they were routing everybody. And as that was happening, there were a lot of people backed up trying to get out those doors. And there was security people on the outside of the doors. There were there was debris falling off the building. Right. And so they, these guys on the outside and they're looking up and they're watching around and then they'd open the door up and they'd let people out. And as soon as they let you out, they were going, run, 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 run. And there were people holding the doors open on the stairwell, on the stair walkway. And they were saying the same thing. Wow. And I, I remember, I, I remember that once we did that, but prior to doing that, I said, Dave, I go, Hey, there's escalators that go down to the ground floor. Let's go that way. And as we walked around to go to those escalators, there were people at the bottom of the escalators that didn't, that they were shut off. And people are saying, you can't go this way. You can't go this way. And then I had a chance briefly to look out those windows and it was where the Marriott hotel was between the buildings. And there was, I think there was a dome there or something. There was part of a plane there. And that, oh, really? that was a memory that it that took a while for me to actually connect the pieces that it was a part of the fuselage of one of those of, the, of that plane. But as we'd come down and as we were coming down, the second tower was hit. And if you ever watch videos, there's certainly a few of them out there. There's a reverse angle that shows that the second plane struck Tower 2 much lower and actually sheer, pierced through the building. And the mm -hmm. nose plane actually touched our tower. And that you'd ask if I was ever nervous or scared. The only time I had a, a, a panic while we were coming down was that we felt that. In some manner of speaking, we felt that rumble. Yeah. And I was wondering what had what might be happening. In a in a sense, from the time that it happened, you thought it was an earthquake. Um people outside the building had a better sense of what was going on than you did inside the building. You didn't know how bad it was. And so to, a, at that point, yeah, right. You didn't know, you knew yeah. something had happened. And yeah. then the, the person that you were with had the wisdom to say, we should go. And you started walking down. It was a very sort of a gradual build of realization of what was going on. Right. As, as opposed to, um, uh, kind of a holy crap moment. 
to a degree. Remember again that if you if you play it back, there were so many unknowns at that time. And if you listen to the broadcast, which I've done probably every year, uh, there was always speculation as to what might be happening. Um, but to that to that point, sometimes I wish I I was an artist or I was gifted and I could draw because they brought us across the walkway and then they wouldn't let us into the other building but they exited us out a stairway that went out of the walkway and down to West Side Highway, right to the street. So all these people that come out of the building, they exit us the, the walkway and down the steps and suddenly we're standing right on West Side Highway on the opposite side of the street. Well, yeah, I mean, and that makes sense if you think about it from an emergency management standpoint, they couldn't take you into another building. They didn't know if that building was also gonna be a target. And, and funny as it may sound, we walked back across the street and walked up to the building and stood below it. I wow. mean, yeah, within 25 feet, 30 feet of the building, maybe that might be, uh, that, that might change a little bit, but we stood literally below the towers. You would think there would be panic. You see some of that shown on news footage, but that wasn't the case. Nobody knew what was going on still at that point. More and there's a lot of commotion. There's fi there's fire engines. There's sirens. There's all of this commotion going on, but the people were calm. the the uh, The grounds around the trade center were very park like, potted trees, wrought iron tables, and furniture, and things like that. And my vivid memory of crossing the street and standing below the towers, which wasn't it wasn't packed crowded was people trying to use their cell phones. Right. Everybody was trying to get a call off. Well, you know, the 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 cell phone services were the ground floor of the World Trade Center. It was a command center. So there was no cell service. And so we're standing, talking to other people. Nobody's panicking, no screaming, none of that stuff. And we're just standing there trying to figure out what we were going to do next. So we made it. There was a group of us standing together and... Everyone's saying, hey, if you get a call out, you know, I'm going to give you the phone number of my wife or my girlfriend or whatever to let someone know we're OK. Right. And it, as funny as that sounds, it really didn't happen for quite some time. At that point, I realized that certainly whatever was going on was horrific because the top of the building is smoking. I mean, it's just, it, you can see flames at certain points. But certainly up around the 70th-ish floors, that top of the building is burning. Yeah. And I it, it dawned on me at that point that Bob, the, the, the fourth of our group, wasn't mm -hmm. with us. Right. And I, and I asked both of them, I said, did you see Bob? Did he get in the stairwell when we did? And they both said, I didn't see him. I didn't see him. And I said, well, this is crazy. We can, you know. We can't leave him here. We got we got to find him. We got to we got to find Bob. And David turns me around and points me like toward the street. And I mean, there was a lot of people there by that time. And he said, "He's gone, man. Wherever he is, he's gone." And I said, "We have to find him." He says, "We're never going to find him. Look." Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of a it was kind of a a, a dose of reality right. at that moment. Um, and we actually stayed there for a length of time. You say a length of time, uh, 
approximately how long did you stay standing there under the building? 10, 10, 15 minutes, something like that. It was, you know, I I say, but it was, it was enough time that we were just standing there chatting, not overreacting, not trying to figure out our next move or anything like that. Um, were you under the control of the security group from the World Trade Center at this point, or were you? Would you say you were just on your own? We're on our own. Once Without, you got out the building, you were on your own. A hundred percent. Okay. There was no structure. There was no organization, uh, and at that moment, there really wasn't a panic. Right. There really wasn't. Um, that changed. And the what changed it? Tell, tell me that, how how it changed. Probably the the part of this experience that that will always remain in memory, but that I did, that I never, you can't fathom it in, in, until you're a part of it. People started falling from the building wow. and they started falling close to us, closer than uh, you, anybody would have ever been comfortable with. And I saw a, a, a woman said, Oh my God, look. And here was someone sadly, falling in, but they were far enough away from us that it wasn't tremendously evident. Uh, After that, much closer to us, a couple fell. They they were obviously forced out and they fell hand in hand. And they landed close enough that you you certainly couldn't avoid it, knowing that what had happened. And they fell into other people that were on the ground, which made it worse. And in the midst of that moment, a hand appeared on my shoulder. And the words, Platt, this isn't entertainment. We got to get out of here. I turned around. It was Bob. He found us. It was amazing. And we turned away from the building. We walked out to the street and we started just getting a little further away from the building quarter of a block or so and the the intensity the the, the sense of of alarm was heightening a bit right and um uh, the one of the fourth of our party is a consultant that was working with my company and he was from new york he had he had facilitated the meeting that we were in so he lived in new york city and he and his wife lived uptown up in the 70s somewhere so his goal was hey i'm gonna go uptown and and get with my wife and bob was from boston and so he wanted to get to grand central station or union station whatever it is that was up uptown and so the two of them said we're gonna go and uh david the guy that i was with uh that was the the other uh, party of the four he lived in new jersey his car was in New Jersey and he had taken the train in. So he and I stayed together because the goal was to get to New Jersey, to get to his car, to get a, to, you know, as in, in our, in our quest to get, get out of there. Um, we're now hearing things that some car radio was that some guy had the doors and a trunk open on his car and you, they had a, whatever the local AM station was on. And now you're starting to find out that this is, much more grave than what we knew. Right. But again, it's all fluid. All of this is fluid. And David and David said, let's, let's go to the waterway boats that are on, on the Hudson. We'll get that. We'll, that's, we'll go that way. 
because we'd heard that one of the bridges or two of the bridges had been closed sure, and weren't accepting people or traffic. And so we walked to the waterway boats, which I now realize was probably a half a mile that day. It felt like a block. It didn't seem like there was, it, it didn't seem like it took us any time to get there at all. Now, I've obviously been back to New York many times since then and gone back and retraced my footsteps and realized just how far it was to where we walked. We had that adrenaline, right? I mean, you were you were the all pumped up. The adrenaline pump lasted for hours afterwards. Actually, I would say a couple of days probably. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to, to fast forward that a little bit. Um, when the adrenaline finally stopped, and you kind of came down from that a little bit. What were your emotions like? Interestingly enough, I think it is, I think it was more of the the survival mentality of how I felt afterwards, because imagine being in a position where you are making decisions that could save your life. And as you're making them, you have no idea if you're making the right moves. Mm-hmm. And that thought wasn't in our head that we would could perish. You know, it, it, that that wasn't the thought. The, what the thought was is how do we get out of here? How do we get out of here? So, and it did, there was a, there was a step down of, as, as my story continues, there's, there is a spot where we both recognize how how much we were on adrenaline. And then it's a kind of a cascading effect to down as as time goes on. It took it took a long time. Yeah. So what did that do to your relationship with the three others that you were with in the building? Um the the I'm tied to the the two gentlemen that worked at the same company I did. I'm tied to those guys for life. Sure. Uh, I, guarantee, I guarantee you uh, on September 11th, I will have two phone calls right around that time from both of those guys. We talk frequently. We know we, we're, we've stayed in touch and we've all gone our different ways, but that day, and that event has has bonded us for life. I, I want to ask you because I know every year we see news clippings and it, it gets revisited every September 11th. And I often wonder. My wife actually asked me to to ask you this question: When that gets revisited every year, do you find that to be therapeutic, or does it just bring up old bad memories, or? How does that play out for you? Every September 11th, since that's happened, I always watch the coverage that's played on TV. They always do a segment, whatever network you're on will play that segment. Right. And I always watch it alone. I've never watched it with anyone else sitting at the TV with me when I watch it. Um, it, It creates a sense of so many people perished that day that had no idea what was happening. The people that were on the floors where the where the planes hit the tower, 
never had any idea what hit him. Yeah. I had an idea now. And so I'm blessed that I survived it. And then sometimes you wonder why did I survive and they didn't. Did you go through a bit of survival guilt on that? Early on, I, I, I had that, but I, I have always come away with a sense that maybe it's simpler. It is your time to go or it is not. Has, has that been the perspective that your life has taken then? It's it's changed in that way? I, I don't think, I, I, I don't feel that however, whenever it is my time, I think that I was spared for a reason. Hmm. I may never know what that is, but I was spared for a reason. So let me transition here a little bit because maybe the next thing we're going to talk about starts to answer that question a little bit because you have, you've had other tragedy since nine 11. Do you care to talk about that? I mean, you, you lost your wife. I did. Um, you know, again, we can't, we can't foresee the future and some of the, some of the things that happen around us and the ways that they happen sometimes just play out just like a, just like a scene in a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, my, uh, my, I had not married at that time. I was not married until about a year and a half later. And within a year and a half, we, uh, we had a son who is, uh, 18 now and just started college as a freshman. And he, he had health problems early on was, didn't come home from the hospital after, after he was born because of health issues uh was proliferated into more health issues but he's in remission now uh with Crohn's disease but the the as you're saying there were other there were other things that happened that just make you wonder you know why those things happen and what you know what overall meaning they'll have so my son lost his mom uh and then uh you know, he lost other family members. He lost within a short time frame, lost a grandmother, yeah. uh, lost a grandfather, those types of things. So, yeah, there there have been more than a few things that have happened since that time that, again, would have never happened. So, so I, I had a guest on a recent episode who said we're all resilient. The question is, how resilient are we um, to prove uh, a certain level of resilience? Uh, I, I'll I'll. I want you to tell a little bit more about the story uh, of your son. I, I think you understated it a little bit, right? I mean, yes, he started college as a freshman, but um, it was a scholarship and a pretty prestigious one at that, if I understand it. He's attending Clemson University. On, a scho- on an academic scholarship? Academic scholarship. So, so. Um, say what you want. I mean, if you want to know perhaps maybe why you survived. Um, I uh, think you can look at the, you know, at the kid wearing the orange t-shirt. <laughs> right. With the, with the tiger paw on it. Yeah. With so. the tiger paw on it. So well done. Well done from you. Listen, I want to give you the, the opportunity to just put a, put the finishing touches, if you will, 
uh, on the 9-11 story, if you have anything you want to add to that. And then I have one last follow-up question. Sure. Um, the, the story actually ends with another amazing uh, a, a turn of event. We, we finally had, we'd received a phone call and I got a phone call from my uh, uh, then girlfriend and now they know what's going on. 45 minutes, an hour has happened, whatever. Yeah. The phone service comes up. She says, wherever you are, if you can see the towers, you're too close. Something's really, really wrong here. I have a very bad feeling about what's going on here. You have to get away from there. Don't don't give me lip service. Get away from there. Nice. Okay. <laughs> and what happened is we started heading north and... David saw an SUV that was stuck behind a tour bus and they're directing all the traffic north with New Jersey license plates, walked up to the guy with his driver's license in his hand and said, you have New Jersey plates. Are you going to Jersey? The guy says, yeah. He says, I'm from New Jersey. I'm trying to get there. Can we go with you? The guy says, yeah, get in. Nice. And that's two was in the process of collapsing and we were able to get away. And we happened to, they, they knew where they were going. He had a BlackBerry at the time. It was the most technologically advanced device. So they were doing that. The radio's on and we got across the Tappan Zee bridge before they close it. So we got off off of that. So that they got us back to the train station and we were able to get that. That's how we made our, our way out. Yeah. That's an amazing story, Chris. (laughs) I I know you and I have talked a, a little bit and we're of a very similar age. Although somehow you don't look at it. I'm a little irritated at that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I don't know why either. <laughs> Another mystery. There you go. Um, so I've been asking all my guests lately to describe a song that they might like to have played maybe as they walked into a building, sort of announcing their presence. And I know you've given some real thought to this. So Chris, what song would you pick and why did you choose that one? Um, the song that I picked is from a, a musician by the name of Jethro Tull. Okay. And the song is that the song is named Life's a Long Song. Okay. And it it was it was a song that that touched me the first time I ever heard it. And it it basically describes uh meeting in life. Uh, and being resolved that life is life is going to is just to flow on. Life is a long song, and then it ends with the with the the line saying, "And the tune ends too soon for us all." Wow! And the reason it, it, it's most significant is I loved that song the moment I heard it, and the day that my son was able to leave the hospital as a newborn when he was loaded into the car. We put that song on, played it as we drove home. So, and he loves the song too and knows the story behind it. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing your story and for your leadership through it. And and I appreciate you being here, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for the time. I appreciate the opportunity. I sincerely appreciate Chris Platt for being my guest on this very special 100th episode of the Resilient Journey podcast. 
The Resilient Journey is a Resilience Think Tank production. And the Resilience Think Tank invites you to join us as we have now launched membership. Learn more at resiliencethinktank.com. We're all at DRJ Fall, so next week I'll provide insights from that conference. So join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey. But the tune ends too soon for a song.